Good evening, everybody. This is Matthew Tilly coming to you for the Seeking Christ in the Scriptures podcast. Uh, it's a place and a time where I try to study the Word of God. One, it's helpful to me. It, it, it uh, strengthens me. Uh, but I also like to share that out. I believe that um, I have a call on my life to share the Scriptures. Um, I pray that the Lord gives me the um, uh, the ability to do it in a way that's helpful to people. Um, so I'm hoping that you're you're benefiting from this. But uh, go live most uh, Tuesday nights, or at least I have for a little bit. And we are studying um, Tuesday nights at seven. We are studying uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, the first three chapters. And this is really just about the arrival of King Jesus. So that's what this is going to be about. And um, <clears throat> just as you can see, the little ticker running across the bottom there, it is a, a new year, uh, 2023. This is, uh, let me check, January the 3rd, 2023. And a new year, and I'm sure many of you all are um, involved in, um, you know, making plans, doing new things for the new year. And hopefully it's uh, been a good holiday season for you. Um, if not, I'm sorry. Uh, I know that that's not always uh, the case, but um, I do know that... Um, I hope I do hope, or rather, that it was a, was a good uh, was a good holiday season. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get into the study tonight, and uh, I look forward to um, to sharing this passage with you. We're in Mark chapter two. In fact, uh, let me put that up here. Um, change over my little ticker to show you exactly what we're studying. It's Mark chapter two, the first twelve verses. And we will look at, uh, I've titled this, Bring the Pieces to Jesus. And um, before I get started, I'd like to pray and ask the Lord for help. So I'm going to do that. And uh, if you're studying along with me, it might be good just to take a moment, take a pause, um, turn your mind, your heart towards the Lord and ask him to help you. Uh, Matthew Tilly can only take you so far. And frankly, that's not all that far. But with the Lord's help, we can get that we can get a lot done. So let's pray and ask him for help. Lord, I, I want to ask that you would use me to um, explain this passage. But ultimately, we want your Holy Spirit to apply this passage to our hearts so that we will live and act differently, uh, see the world in a different way. And I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. If you've ever been in a situation where. You've had a mess on your hands and you've had to take that to some professionals to fix. You're going to understand uh, this situation in, the, in this passage. Um, maybe you've had a broken car or a sick animal or something like that. Something that you could maybe get it a little bit. Maybe you could touch the problem just a little bit, but you just can't solve it. It's bigger than you are. Um, that's exactly the spot that you're going to find uh, these people in in uh, Mark chapter two. In Mark chapter two, uh, well, first of all, in verses, the first couple of verses, we're introduced to the fact that uh, Jesus has now in Capernaum. He's there and he and people know that he's there. It says it's noised that he was in the house. That's in verse one. Um, and a lot of people start gathering and that's, that's pretty normal in Jesus's ministry. When people find out he is in a place, they all just kind of just glom around him because they, they know he's going to do something amazing. And, uh, he's, he's preaching to them and there's a lot of people gathered. If you look in verse two, it says that, uh, in so much, there was not room, there was no room to receive them. So you could just imagine that there's this sort of a room, 
uh, a house that they're in, that Jesus is in, people have come in and it's more than two or three. It's so many that if you're on the outside of the house and you're trying to get in, you can't. You might be able to hear his voice through the walls or through the open windows, but you're just not getting in to, to see him, not face to face. There's just too many people there. There's no way. And 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 it might have even been, if it was happening today, it might have been considered a fire hazard. It might have been dangerous. People might have been tra- might have trampled each other if you've tried to get out. Just imagine there's a lot of mass of humanity there. But we're introduced here to some people in verse 3. It says, and they come unto him. So some people bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So there was four people carrying one man. The one man was sick of the palsy, uh, which is essentially a paralysis. He, he's not able to move. He's got a paralysis in his body. And these people are in this spot where they've got a mess on their hands. They've got something they need fixed. Um, and they need to take it to the professional, somebody who can actually do something about the problem. So that's exactly where we find these people. So this man who is sick of the palsy, who has paralysis, he finds out that Jesus is in town. So clearly he finds out, just like everybody else in the region, Jesus is in town. He's been out of the public eye for a little bit, uh, but now he's back and everybody's talking about it and everybody's there. Yet he's paralyzed and he can't get to Jesus himself. So you can see there in verse three, he's got four people that bring him there. So he's got some friends who help him. But even with that help, now think about this, he can't get there at all. So he grabs some buddies to take him. They can get him there, but they can't even get him to Jesus. Remember I told you, Jesus has got people all around him, just clustered up next to him. He can't get close to him. So that that he can't even get there, even with his friends. But they had heard all the stories of the healings. If you go back to, we've gone over this in previous studies. In chapter one, you see that Jesus is healing people. Just about everywhere he goes, he's healing people. He's casting demons out of people. He is changing people's lives. And they've heard about this and they knew that Jesus could do it for him, this man, but they just had to get him to Jesus. Now, I want to make sure you you get the mindset here, please. This is the best I can explain this to you. I think these are good people. I don't think there's the Bible's even given us any indication that they have they're wrong spirited. There's nothing necessarily bad about these people. But let's be honest about this. They didn't necessarily have their act together. They didn't have it all figured out. They didn't even have a great plan. You're going to see here that basically what they've done in the next verse, in verse four, they actually take off the roof. They break open the roof to get to him. I don't know if that's the best plan, but that's what they do. They don't have a great plan, but they brought what they had, the broken pieces of this man's life, and they brought that to Jesus and said, here's what I got. It's kind of like if you, you know, if a, a little child has broken some toy and they bring it to mama and say, it's broken. Can you fix it? That's that's kind of the attitude I think is is here. Now, the good news, and we could jump all the way to verse 12, which is the end of the story here. You can see that the man gets out of bed. He's he's able, his paralysis goes away. He's able to walk. He's able to do this. So Jesus surprises everybody, even says there um, at the end of verse 12, that we never saw it on this fashion. So it, it changes people's lives, or this man's lives, rather, and the people that watch it are amazed by it. So the results are really, really good. But the big lesson I think you can take from this passage, I want to go ahead and give you that up front, 
is that whatever is broken, we can bring this to Jesus. That's what we can do. We can bring all the broken pieces to him. We don't have to have it. And I think sometimes I get that spirit of, I've got to get it figured out. So then I can say, okay, Lord, I had this problem, but here's my solution. Is it okay? Can you do it? Because that don't work. But instead, what we need to do is like this, this paralyzed man is to bring it to Jesus. Because look, look what Jesus does. Now, first thing I want to observe in this passage is that Jesus reverses the real damage. He doesn't just address the symptoms. He actually goes to the heart of the matter. So now, what are these people coming for? Verse 3, this man is sick of the palsy. They, What do they want? Well, they want what everybody expects Jesus to give them. They want healing. Uh, and Jesus knows this. How do I know that he knows this? Well, in this passage, whenever these people let the man down to be in front of Jesus, Jesus says some things to him. And he, in verse 8, it says that he knew what these people were thinking. So these people that were talking about his interaction. And so I know that Jesus knows what's going on in the heart of people. I'm saying that to say that Jesus knew that this man wanted his body to be healed. He's paralyzed. He wants his body to be able to move. So I don't think that that's, you know, that's not a surprise to Jesus. He knows this. He understands this. So here we go. In verse three, they want this. These men come in in verse three, verse four, they can't get in. So what do they do? They uncover the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. So you can imagine Jesus in the middle of this room. They break open the ceiling and then they let the man down and, and he's laying there. So here in verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, so he understood what they were doing. They were trusting. Listen, this is our last ditch effort. He saw it and he understood that. What do you think? He, what do you think they want? They want healing. What does Jesus know they want? They want healing. But look at what he does. Verse five, he said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, if you're paying attention to that, that should strike you. At least it does to me. It strikes me as odd. I, I want to confess this about Jesus. I, I love Jesus. He's my savior. I believe him. I want to follow him. I trust every word he has to say. But he is one of the toughest teachers and preachers that, that I've ever heard. If you ever really listen to what he's saying, sometimes we want to gloss over some of the things he does and says, but when you look at this and here's a man who wants healing, he knows he wants healing. And what does he do? He forgives his sins. But we have to understand what is Jesus really doing here? He's dealing with the root problem. This man's eternal sickness will not just keep him bedridden, but will literally damn him for eternity. This man's internal sickness doesn't just, it, it, it pollutes his mind, it pollutes his body, it pollutes his environment. He makes wrong choices. He lives in a sinful world. There's sin at the root of all of this. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I don't believe the Bible teaches that the only reason that you're sick is because you don't have faith or because you sin. That's not the case. But the reality is that our bodies do break down. Our bodies are hurting because we live in a sinful world, a, a world that's broken. And at the heart of it, you can fix my body, but if you don't fix that heart problem, I might, I might, might feel good. I might live a long time, but at the end of my life, which is inevitably going to come, there's going to come a time when I'm going to die and I'm going to live in eternity. And the question is going to be, has my sin been forgiven? And that 
is actually a bigger disability, if you want to call it that. It's a bigger de debilitating uh, condition. And Jesus says, I'm going to address that real problem. It's as if uh, you come into me and I'm a doctor. I'm not a doctor, but let's say you come to me as a doctor and um, you say, man, I got this pain in my chest. And I say, okay, fine. I'll let me numb that pain. But I never address the fact that there's a knife sticking out of your chest, that, that somebody has stabbed you in the chest and I've got, you've got this knife sticking out, but I've numbed it so it doesn't hurt you anymore. Have I really helped you? And I think the best thing that we can do is bring those broken pieces to Jesus and let him fix it. I know I want him to do this or the other thing. I want him to address what I see as the problem. But what Jesus is going to do is he's going to fix the real damage. If you'll bring it to him and say, Lord, I just need you to fix this. If you're not a believer in Jesus, he's going to say, I need you to put your faith in me and I'm going to save you from your sins. If you are one of his followers, he's going to say, I, I, I'm, I'm going to help you in these particular ways. For example, some of, some of you may be dealing with certain besetting sins, things that continue to bother you. Maybe, you're, maybe you're, you lie a lot or you've got some pornographic addiction or maybe you smoke or overeat or you know, a number of things that you just, you just want to deal with in your life. And you're saying, Lord, please take these things away from me. But what he is going to do is not simply take away the damage of those sins. He's actually going to forgive those sins and make you new. He's not going to just numb you to those things. He's going to make you a new creature so that those, those, uh, those sins are taken from you. With his forgiveness, you have the real healing that you need, the real victory, that real reversal of the damage that you need. And you'll get a new mind, you get a new heart, and you have, of course, a new home in heaven as a result of that. So what Jesus does is he reverses the, the, the real damage that's going on here. Second, second thing I want to observe, and you'll see it in the next few verses, is that what Jesus does is he does what only God can do. Nobody else can do what Jesus can do. Again, he's forgiving sins here. Don't forget that. He's forgiving sins. So when he says, Thy son, son, thy sins forgive, be forgiven thee. Verse six, there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. So they hear Jesus say he's forgiving sins and they're saying, hang on a minute. That doesn't sound right. What is going on here? They say to themselves in verse seven, and by the way, they're reasoning this in their heart. There's not a conversation going on. They're just thinking this. Verse seven, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? They are saying, listen, hang on a minute. This is controversial, what he's doing. He is, he is saying he is doing something that only God can do. It's not unusual, and you'll go back to chapter 1. I think it's verse 27. You'll see that when Jesus, um, when Jesus encounters these religious folks, they always kind of get their, their hackles up a little bit. But in this case, it's not just that they don't like what he's saying. They actually call what he's saying blasphemous. And blasphemous really means to either speak evil against God, you know, sort of assign sinful things to God, or claim that you can do or that you have something that's ultimately his. And in this case, for example, if I were to say to you, I can forgive your sins. I can't. I just tell you, I'm a man. I'm a human man. I need my own sins forgiven, and I can't do it for myself, and I definitely can't do it for you. So for me to do that would be blasphemous to me to actually say I can forgive your sins because God is the one who has to forgive. 
Can I forgive you for what you've done against me? Of course I can, but I can't ultimately wipe away your sins. That's what God does. And that's why they're saying that. So here's Jesus reading their minds, verse eight, uh, verse eight, immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye think these things in your heart? So the minute, minute he perceives it, he actually reads their minds. What are they thinking? He sees that and he calls it out. He says, listen, why are you guys thinking like that? Why are you, why, what's going on here? And he says in verse nine, or asking in verse nine, what is a, essentially a rhetorical question. He says, whether it be easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk. Which one's easier? Is it easier for me to say, I forgive your sins? Or is it easy for me to say, I heal your paralysis? Now, by the way, healing paralysis, this is the kind of stuff that had been happening in Galilee in chapter one of Mark. This is what these religious people expected of Jesus. They said, I mean, that's why they're there. They're there to watch the show, if you will, to see what Jesus is going to do. So they're not surprised when Jesus is able to heal somebody. In fact, they're actually a little shocked he didn't, just like you and I, when we read that, he knows the man needs to be healed and he doesn't heal him. He forgives his sins. So they're, that they think that's a thing that's easy to do, or they expect it rather. I don't know if they think it's easy, but they expect it. And Jesus says, is that really easier than saying I forgive his sins? Because can I just tell you that, and if I'm telling you this for the first time, I, I think I'll, one, I'll be surprised myself, but let me please uh, in, enlighten you. There are a lot of people in this world, even today in 2023, that are claiming that they can heal people's bodies. And I recognize that God can heal and he does heal. But a lot of these people, most of these people, in fact, are charlatans. They are faking it. And there's all kinds of ways to fake this. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm no expert on how to do it myself. I'm not even going to try to do that. I think that would be horrible. And I think it is horrible that some of these people do this. But all the way back in Jesus's day and prior to that, this would have been normal for people to have tried to, to get a following by faking healing. And, and it's possible that these people, these, these religious people might have thought that's what Jesus was doing. I don't know. But nonetheless, Jesus is saying, listen, how is that easier to actually make this man walk? How is that easier to make this man who's paralyzed actually walk than for me to say that it's uh, his sins are forgiven? Now, now, please understand this. Let me sure I'm explaining this properly. Jesus was able to do something that no man can do by physically healing. In verse 12, we know that this man will actually be physically healed as well. So Jesus can do that. No man can do that without the power of God. So first of all, we need to understand that, that that's only God, that people can fake that all day long. However, also forgiving sins is something only God can do. But however, you can't fake, not when it matters, you can't fake forgiving sins. Why do I say that? Because there's going to come a time every man will, every woman, every person that's ever existed will stand before God and give an account for themselves. And if we're standing there, and, I, and I'm putting myself in this category too, if I stand before God and my sins, I'm saying they're forgiven, but Jesus, and I say, Jesus forgave my sins, but he's not able to do so, it's going to have very real consequences. Whereas you could say, you know, fake the forgive, fake the, um, um, uh, the healing of the body. And, I, you know, I, if somebody finds out, you might be embarrassed or whatever, but you fake forgiving my sins, I have hell to pay for that. 
And what Jesus is saying, listen, guys, which one is really easier to forgive sins or to heal this man? Which one? And if you think about it, if he's actually doing it, let's make sure we assume that he's actually healing and he's actually forgiving sins. Which one's easier? At the end of the day, healing the body is easier. Forgiving sins, taking away what God Almighty has against us. Are you serious? That's not easier. I mean, harder. That's a more difficult thing. But here's what Jesus does. Look what Jesus does. Verse, verse 10. He says, essentially, I was going to tell you. He says, you know what? I'll do both. I'll do what God alone is capable of. I will heal and I'll forgive. Look at what he does in verse 10. But that ye may know, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into, thy, into thine house. And immediately he arose. Do you see what he does there? He's saying, listen, guys, what are you debating about? Which one's easier? What in the world? I'm just going to go ahead and do both of these because I am, he says in so many words, without ever saying I am God, this is, this is a statement of that only one who is claiming to be God is going to make. The best thing we can do, the best thing we can do is to take those broken pieces to Jesus and say, I can't fix it. Only God can fix this. And some of y'all have some, some situations. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's pain in your body. Maybe it's family relationships. But some of you have some things that only God can fix. But you're going to bring it to Jesus because he and he alone has world creating power. Think about that. He is the one that spoke the world into existence. Paul writes about this in Colossians. By his word, the whole world consists. So he's the one that has that. And, and there's going to be a blue million people who are going to offer some kind of fix for your problem. They'll definitely, you give them a few dollars, they'll definitely help you out or try to pretend that they're going to help you out. Some people may try and some people with good intentions may try to help you out. Some people with bad intentions may fake the help for you. But the fact is that the real problem can only be addressed in so many situations. And you all that are dealing with these problems, you know what these are that can only be addressed by the God of the universe. Please understand that the whole universe is God's. He made it. So it's all under his control. It all plays by his rules. There's no issue you will ever face, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual. None of those issues are ever outside of his oversight. And he and he alone can fix those things and solve those things. So we need to bring those broken pieces to Jesus because he does what only God can do. Anybody else is simply imitating. We must bring it to the Lord. Now, does he use real world, uh, uh, you know, physical uh, help? You know, maybe it's a friend that comes or maybe there's, you know, money that comes because we need something. Absolutely. God, God uses means like that. But who's the one ultimately in control? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know that Jesus is the one who does what only God can. He makes ways where there was no way before. Finally, the third, the third observation I want you to see here is that what Jesus does is makes a change. And it's a real change. And it's a noticeable or notable change. He's not faking anything here. First of all, he says in verse 11, he declares healing on this man. He says, I want you to get up and walk. And you see immediate results. He says, immediately he arose, took up his bed and went forth before them all. 
Now, one of the things I want to make sure we notice here is not necessarily, this guy is not necessarily in, quote, perfect condition. There's no indication that he was or was not, for that matter. But it was not, that's not the point here. He didn't go from a man who's been laying in his bed for however long he's been laying there paralyzed to a man who's now, you know, ready to run a marathon or something like that. I don't think that was the indication. He's some kind of perfect athletic condition. But there is a necessary change from one position to another position. Here's a man who couldn't even get in the building because there's too many people. They had to break open the roof to get in. He couldn't get in no matter if the, the door was wide open and nobody was there because he was paralyzed. He had to have people bring him in. He was brought in on his own bed. They carried him in on a bed, essentially on a stretcher. Yet what happens after Jesus speaks is this same man who literally could not get up, could not move, now not only is moving of his own free will, but he is able to pick up his own bed and walk out with there with it. So again, don't get this idea that somehow he was like, you know, terrible, and then now he's like some kind of perfect specimen of, of athleticism or something, but he is necessarily changed. And everything that was, those results were noticeable by everybody. Look in verse 12. It says, it went forth, went forth before them all in so much that they were all amazed and glorified God. I think the indication here is this was not somebody that was unfamiliar to them. I believe that they were amazed, not just by the sight of somebody who walked in or rather was brought in and walked out, but they, I believe that they probably knew this. This would have been a relatively small town and there would have been word that would have gotten around about this man. And the fact that he was able to walk out of there with his own bed was amazing to these people. And they were glorifying God as a result of this. So they're amazed, so amazed that they say, listen, we never saw it on this fashion. This is something we've never seen before. And believe me, they would have seen hucksters. They would have seen all kinds of charlatans trying to sell them something. And Jesus has done this. And they're saying, listen, we've never seen anything like this before. All that's to simply say, when Jesus fixes something, he really fixes something. When he forgives, he forgives all the way. We don't just get kind of a pass on our sins. We get actual atonement, which is why Paul writes in Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's in Romans chapter 8 in verse 1. So we don't just get a pass. We actually get uh, no condemnation. There is now no condemnation. That's what Jesus provides. And in, as a result of that, not only is the condemnation gone, but there are tangible, visible changes. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So we're not talking about some sort of turning over a new leaf, some kind of incremental change, something that's a little bit nudged to the right. This is actually transformative change. That's what he does. The best example I can give you is if, you know, if you've ever seen someone who's lost weight, you know, they, they've, they've done a, had a significant weight loss. And I'm not just talking about a couple of pounds and they just look a little trimmer. I'm talking about somebody maybe who was, you know, not very, you know, kind of over heavily overweight. And then they lost a significant amount of weight, maybe through exercise or some surgery or whatever that thing. But there's like this big, big change in them. You know, when that happens, you can just tell. You don't have to know that that person went on a diet. 
you don't have to ask, you know, did you lose any inches? I've heard some exercise programs where they, they want to measure how many inches you've lost in certain parts of your body. Well, I mean, I guess that helps you, motivates you to keep moving, that you're seeing some, some change. But to really see that from the outsider looking in, you're like, I see it. There's a big difference. Something's changed there. And that, the thing to take away from this is the best thing that we can do is bring those broken pieces to Jesus and let him make a change in us to make us a new creature, clearly transformed from the inside out. Uh, the way Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 is just completely transforming our mind, giving us completely new DNA, not, not, not just sort of shaping us in a new way, but completely transforming us. And, and another way to think about this, and I'm, I'm always cu curious about why this happens, but there's a lot of people who say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He, I've been saved. I've confessed faith in Christ. And and I'm, and I'm happy for them. And I, and I can only only say congratulations or only say thank the Lord because it's, you know, not, I don't know. It's ultimately between you and God. And I acknowledge that, but I do ask the question in my mind. Well, if that's been the, if you've actually seen that forgiveness, why then do you drink the same stuff, smoke the same stuff, inject the same stuff into your veins, inhale the same stuff? Why do you do that? Why do you talk the same way? Why do you have the same attitude that you've had? Why do you go to the same places, submit to the same lusts? And, and as, I, as I made a pain to acknowledge at the beginning, this guy was not transformed from, you know, just kind of bedridden to like some kind of athletic perfection. I don't believe this is actually transforming us to be perfect. I acknowledge we're human beings. We still sin. That happens. But if Jesus has come in and he has made a change, he makes a real change, a noticeable change, and he is making a real movement for us, moving us in a real way away from the old towards the new, making us, as Romans 8.29 talks about, being conformed to the image of Christ. The big 50-cent word on that is sanctification, transforming us into something new, that new creature. If that's not happening... I, I can't judge your judge you. I, I just can't. Ultimately, God is that judge. I acknowledge that. But I'm saying, I just don't know what's going on here. And you need to ask that question of yourself. Because when Jesus moves in, when he forgives, when he transforms, when he makes a change, people start saying, we've never seen it on this fashion. We've never seen it quite like this before. That's what Jesus does when he moves in and when he makes a change. Jesus forgives. Jesus fixes us. Jesus solves the problem. He really does. I don't think the problem is with Jesus. And I'm saying this about Matthew Tilly. I, I can't speak for you because I don't know who all is watching right now. I'm really just focused on talking to you. But I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. Problem's not with Jesus. Problem's with me. Problem's with you. And what we need to stop doing is trying to put the pieces back together. We need to just take them to Jesus and say, Lord, it's broken. Can you fix me? And I promise you, one, he will fix the real damage. He will do what only God can. And the change that will result, you will never have seen it on those, that fashion before. You'll have never seen it like that before. It'll be something brand new. 
thank you for paying attention and listening this afternoon, this evening rather. And uh, we'll look forward to joining, having you join again next week. We'll uh, go ahead and schedule that on Facebook as well as um, uh, YouTube for you to join me there. Hopefully that you'll get a chance to do that. Drop me a note or a piece of feedback or a question, anything like that. Love to have that. If you happen to be in and around the uh, West Jefferson, Ash County, Wilkes County area, uh, I'll be uh, doing a Bible study tomorrow night at North Beaver Baptist Church in West Jefferson on Highway 163 and preaching this coming Sunday. So I'd love to have you come in and uh, visit with us. And I think you'll, you would, you would enjoy the folks there and I'd enjoy seeing you as well. Uh, but let me know, drop, drop me a note, ask me a question, anything at all. Love to, love to hear from you and uh, y'all have a good evening. We'll talk to you later.